11. The Bible says, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abiezerite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this to befallen us? That's a very good question. Where be all his miracles which our fathers told of us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Watch verse number 14. In spite of all that Gideon had to say, the Bible says, And the Lord looked upon him and says, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? We're going to read more here in just a moment. Let's ask the Lord's blessings on his word. Lord, I do thank you for your word. Help us to glean tonight from the choices of Gideon. I pray tonight the message would be what you would have it to be. Give us wisdom. Give us liberty and recollection. And Lord, I just pray that you would do a work in our lives through it tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we look at the account of Gideon, uh, we'll also find Gideon mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith that we preached out of on uh, last Wednesday night when we looked at Abel. And we can see clearly in, in Judges chapter number 6 that Gideon was one of God's chosen servants. The Bible says in uh, verse number 12, the Bible says, The Lord appeared unto him, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And the Bible says in verse 14, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Now, what's interesting about Gideon, I like the life of Gideon. There's a lot that we can glean from tonight because Gideon was a very, very much an unlikely servant. We look at Gideon, we don't see someone who is necessarily uh, super confident. We don't see someone who is arrogant. A lot of the traits we might think of someone who would be a great leader. And matter of fact, when you look in here, you, you see a guy in verse number 15 where he begins to tell God why he can't serve. Oh my Lord, wherewithal shall I save, save Israel? Here's Gideon saying, I don't think that I can do this. Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. We see Gideon is very unlikely. He is incapable, and he seems to be insufficient. But aren't you glad tonight that it seems like that those are the people that our God often uses in service? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, that he have chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The foolish things to confound the wise and the weak to confound the mighty. This is the way that God works. But what did God see in Gideon? I believe the answer lies in verse number 12 and verse number 14. The Bible says that the description that God gives of him is this, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. He uses the word mighty, and he uses the word valor. We look at this, now we understand God's not picking Gideon because Gideon just has this, uh, this great capability. We looked at that early on in this series, that God always chooses character over capability. Do not think you have to have great capability to be used of God because God chooses character. So he's not picking Gideon because I believe he was just a big hulking character. There's something about this valor and might that I believe God can use and when you look this up, you find when you mesh those two words together, that valor and might equates to this word that we know of as courage. 
Gideon was a man of valor. He was a man of might, but Gideon was a man of courage. Now, understand this tonight. I want to give this reminder. Every time we cover a character trait on this choice servant series, to understand that a lot of times we look at these character traits as God playing duck, duck, goose, and he gave some this and some that, but courage is not so. Tonight we must understand, just like all of the other things we've covered as far as faithfulness to God and obedience to God and humility and sacrifice, courage is a choice. It's a choice that we have to make in order to be used of God. Now, we find this, I'm not going to turn there just yet, we will in a moment, but in Joshua chapter 1, as Joshua goes to prepare to be used of God to take up where Moses left off, can you imagine filling in for Moses? I can't imagine if Moses was out of his pulpit and Moses, the the first Baptist church of the Old Testament calls and says, we want you to come fill in for Moses. I'd be scared to death to stand behind Moses' pulpit. Now Joshua is being called to not only fill in for Moses, but to lead the people the rest of the way. And three times in Joshua chapter one, God commands Joshua to be of good courage. He says, Joshua, you're going to have to have courage. Now, if it was automatic, why would he have commanded Joshua to have it three times? He's telling Joshua that courage is a choice that you must make. You've got to have courage if we're going to serve God. So why is courage so valuable to God? Well, in order to understand why it's so valuable to God, you're going to have to understand what it means. So uh, tonight, we're going to look at this, this message on choosing courage And we're going to look at the example of Gideon. And there's three things, I believe, tonight that we can glean from Gideon on this thing of courage. So if you go look it up, you're going to find several definitions of the word courage. Let me give you just a few of them. One is strength in spite of weakness. Courage is strength in spite of weakness. Another one is calm in spite of danger. Now stick with me on this. The third one is boldness in spite of opposition. Now, I don't know about you, but I listen for common denominators. When I'm studying the lives of people who did great things for God and men that were used of God, I try to find common denominators. As I read that, that definition, one particular sentence or, or phrase that jumped out of was in spite of. In spite of. We see that courage often shows up in spite of something. Courage is the great motivator of the unlikely, the incapable, and the insufficient. Okay, The only way that someone who is unlikely, incapable, and insufficient is going to be motivated to go up against something that they're not is they must have courage. I want you to know, so often in your service to God, you and I are going to be the unlikely. We are going to be the incapable, and we are going to be the insufficient. And the only motivator that you're going to find to do what thus saith the Lord is for you to choose to have courage. If you don't have courage, you're sunk. There's no way that the unlikely, the insufficient, and the incapable can find motivation without courage. You want you to think about bullies today. That's a big word in today's society. You used to see kind of the part of the fabric of America, but now it's a, a big deal, bullying, and I'm not, I'm not an advocate of bullying, but we don't think it's very courageous for someone in the high school to stand up to someone in the elementary school. Why? Because they are capable, they are sufficient to stand up to someone in the elementary school. But someone from the elementary school who stands up to someone in the high school, we would say they have courage. 
Why? Because they're not capable. They are insufficient. Now, folks, in order for us to have courage tonight, we've got to choose it. We've got to choose in spite of the fact that we are unlikely, insufficient, and incapable. We're going to trust God to do what we cannot do, and that's a choice. So in order to become a choice servant, as we see in Gideon's life, we've got to choose to do the will of God in the face of everything that says we can't. I heard a quote from John Wayne, or read a quote from John Wayne several years ago. He basically says that courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. I think I'd like to have met John Wayne. I don't know if he was just acting, but I kind of figure he was probably a little bit more of a real man than most real men today in America. You know, he just kind of seemed like it. But courage is being scared to death, and yet we saddle up anyway. So tonight we're looking at spiritual courage, and I believe it's something we lack a whole lot of in the church. We lack courage. We don't see a whole lot of courage. We, as a matter of fact, we wallow in our insufficiency and we wallow in our incapability. We wallow in that rather than choosing to have courage. And so I want you to see how Gideon had courage tonight and what that courage produced in his life. So look at chapter 6, verse number 25. When God calls him to deliver uh, Israel, the first order that he gave him was in verse 25. It came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. Now understand, here's God. Now now remember where God found Gideon. God found Gideon threshing wheat behind the wine press. You don't thresh wheat behind a wine press, but he's hiding out from the Midianites. Okay, I'm not saying he's scared, but I'm saying he's trying to do it under the cover uh, of the wine press because the Midianites would steal all that he had. So when God finds him, he's kind of hiding out just a little bit. And now God tells him in verse 25, I want you to go throw down your father's altar to Baal. I want you to throw it down and I want you to sacrifice unto me. Now, understand that's highly unpopular. Okay. Baal was the popular god of the time, and, and I can imagine, look, if I'm Gideon, I'm thinking to myself, God, you found me kind of hiding out, and you want me to come out in the open and tear down the altar of Baal? I mean, that is in direct contrast to the status quo of the society he was living in. But why did Gideon do what thus saith the Lord? Because number one, courage stands in spite of circumstance. Courage stands in spite of circumstance. Now, I want you to see the choice, okay? Gideon's courage manifests itself in the fact that he chose to take a stand in spite of the circumstances of the society that he was living in. This is why I say we don't have much courage in the church anymore because the courage is not manifest in the stands that we make in spite of the circumstances of our society. You can see it. It's not manifesting itself. Understand this. Becoming a choice servant tonight is directly dependent upon you standing in spite of your circumstances. That's what courage is. I mean, our young people are not here tonight. Boy, how my heart is burdened for our young people that Central Baptist Church and Central Baptist School would turn out a generation of young people that can stand up for the cause of Christ in spite of the circumstances of the society that's around them. That's what we should desire to produce here. 
Listen, mom and dad, we should desire to produce young people of courage that can go out into this world in 2019 and take a stand for the cause of Christ no matter what the circumstances are that surround them. By the way, do you know where young people with courage come from? Moms and dads with courage. Listen, we can't hide out behind the wine press and tell our kids to go tear down the altars of Baal. We can't do it that way. Look, the best way to raise up a young person with courage and to live in spite of their circumstances is for them to see mom and dad come out from behind the wine press and go tear down the altar of Baal out in public. The problem is most of our walk with God and most of our courage is inside these walls. It's easy to be courageous in church. It's easy to say amen in here. Boy, I want to tell you, my heart was so blessed today. Such a simple thing, but my heart was blessed. Took my wife out for a fancy lunch today at the gas station subway. As, as we sat there, I looked over at the family over her shoulder to my left. It was a dad and a mom and a daughter sitting at the table. Oh, how they all just linked up hands and bowed their head and prayed over their food. On one hand, my heart was just so encouraged by that. But on another hand, I got to thinking to myself, it's sad that that it takes that to encourage me. That anymore you have to have courage to pray over your food in public. Why, why, why do we find it hard to pray over our food in public? I'll tell you why. It's because the circumstances influence us more than our courage does. Courage is standing in spite of the circumstances. And God looked down and saw that courage in Gideon. He says, I believe that young man, or I know that young man, who will stand in spite of the circumstance. If you'll read, the Bible says that he did just what the Lord told him to do in verse number 27. Then Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. Can I tell you, based on our stand tonight, the church has lost its courage. Based on our stand. You know, look, courage is more than a conversation. Man, we love to talk about it, don't we? Man, boy, if they ever come to get my Bible, let me tell you, I'm going to break out the shotgun and I'm going to turn loose the dog and all of this stuff. It's easy to say that in here. But I want to tell you something. There's no different in them taking your Bible from you and you not taking your Bible with you. But let's think in just for a second. Well, they're never going to take my Bible from me. They don't have to take it from us. We don't take it with us. We don't take it to work. We don't take it to school. We don't hide it within our heart. Listen, the only thing we're worried about them taking is the paper. The things on the inside of the paper don't really mean that much to us. They don't have to take it from us. We don't take it with us. So let's test this theory tonight. Let's test this theory that courage stands in spite of the circumstances. So let's think about a few people tonight. Let's think about Noah. Noah was a choice servant. God chose him. Did Noah stand in spite of his circumstances? Absolutely. The whole world was against him. And yet Noah walked with God. God chose Noah because Noah had courage. And Noah proved his courage by walking with God in spite of the circumstances of the entire world. You ever feel like the whole world's against you? Noah knew what it was like. I mean, look, two of our coworkers gripe at us for giving them a gospel track. And we feel like the whole world's against us. Kind of like Elijah. I'm the only one. No, Noah could say that. The whole world was against him. And yet Noah stood in spite of his circumstances. He had courage and God chose him. Think about somebody else tonight. Let's think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God chose them. 
Why did God choose them? Well, they had courage. How do you know? Because they stood in spite of their circumstances. The king says, I'm going to give you another chance, boys, to, to change your mind. They says, oh, king, we're not careful. We don't need a second thought. We don't have to give this a second thought. We're going to stand for the cause of Christ. Oh, I think God used Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why? Because they had courage. We could go down through the list tonight. I sat down in my office this afternoon and made a list of all the people that I look at as heroes in the Bible. It's amazing. They had a common denominator. They had courage. See, how do you know they had courage? You're not going to find courage written out by their name. No, you see it. Courage is not just something you profess, okay? Courage is something that shows up in your stand. Tonight, if we were to measure our stand tonight, we could also measure our courage by the same standard. We think about Paul. Paul says, none of these move me. What is he talking about when he says that in Acts 20? He's talking about the circumstances. Paul says, none of these things move me. They're not going to change what I'm doing for the cause of Christ. You see, his circumstances did not change his stand. We could go on with Esther tonight. We could go on with Daniel tonight. I read a story about Eddie Rickenbacker a few days ago, and he was the World War I flying ace. He was the most decorated uh, pilot uh, during World War I. I believe he had 26 victories in the air and received the Medal of Honor. And they asked him one day, they said, you must have had fearless courage. He corrected them, and he says this. He says, courage is doing what you know to do even when you're afraid to do it. He says, there's no courage unless you're scared. This is Eddie Rickenbacker, the great American flying ace, shot down 26 enemy fighters, received the Medal of Honor. He says, it doesn't mean you're not afraid. It just means you're going to do your job even if you are afraid. That's what courage is. You feel incapable. You feel like you're insufficient. You feel like you're unlikely, and yet you go on anyway. That's what courage is. And we don't have any courage today. We watch CNN and we watch Fox News and we find out that the Christians are in the minority anymore. We decide, you know what, we can't do it. What's the likelihood we could turn this country around? Well, we're not if we don't have courage. And courage is standing in spite of our circumstances. So real quickly, I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 31. I want to show you something. Deuteronomy chapter number 31. If you don't know where chapter 31 of Deuteronomy is, turn to Joshua chapter 1 and go backwards one page. I didn't have to say that. I just did that as an extra service, okay? I'm just trying to be a servant tonight, help you out. Deuteronomy chapter number 31. As we look at Deuteronomy chapter number 31, we see where, I'm sorry, go back a few more chapters. We see where Moses is about to die. Deuteronomy chapter 31, look down at verse number six. I want to show you something. As Moses prepares to leave, the Bible says that Moses tells Joshua this and to Israel, be strong and of a good courage. So here's Moses getting ready to pass off the scene, and Moses says to Joshua and to Israel, be strong and of good courage. Look down to verse number seven. Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him, in the sight of all Israel, be strong and of a good courage. Look down to verse number 23. And he gave Joshua the son of Nun a charge and says, be strong and of a good courage. Now here's Moses telling Joshua and all of Israel, the only way you'll continue to fulfill the will of God is through courage. Now turn back, if you will, just a few chapters to your right to Joshua 1. Watch what God tells them. 
The Bible says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, be strong and of a good courage. Look down to verse number 9. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. If you look down to verse number 13, you'll see it one more time. Remember the word which came, which the Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land. He goes on to tell them to be strong one more time and have good courage. Now, here's what's interesting. They go into the land, and when they saw all that was there in the land, and they saw the adversity, and they saw the circumstances, the Bible says their hearts melted. Neither was there any courage left in them. Moses commanded them three times. God commanded them three times. You need courage, you need courage, you need courage. And the first thing that went out the window when the circumstances turned south, the Bible says they lost their courage. Now, folks, can I tell you something tonight? The only way we will fulfill the will of God is through courage. And if you don't choose to have it, don't be surprised if God doesn't choose to use you. God's not going to choose to use you. God, God needs people who are going to stick it out in spite of the circumstances. I was looking at the weather today and looking at the, the forecast for the weekend. It's going to be cold. About this time of the year, we start checking our antifreeze. Start checking the, our batteries and start checking the air in our tires. And we start checking our windshield wipers and things along that line. We're preparing them for circumstances that are not here yet. Okay. We're checking that antifreeze. I remember my dad, he would always lose the checker, or I think his sons would lose the checker. You know, the little bulb that you squeeze and the little, little dots float in there? It's supposed to be green, by the way, uh, or orange, but most of the time for us around here, it's just, it's just water, you know? And you suck it up in there, and those little balls are floating. They're telling you how cold your engine can get and how much of a freeze your engine can take, and you're, you're maintenancing it for the conditions that are coming, now, can I tell you, I think we put more effort into maintenancing our vehicles for the adverse conditions that are coming than we do for maintenancing our faith for the adverse circumstances that we're going to face. It requires courage. I mean, we're going to make sure our tires are ready and our antifreeze is ready. We're going to make sure that, that our windshield wipers are ready when that ice gets all over there. And yet, when it comes time to serve God, what's required is courage. God made it clear to Moses. Moses made it clear to Joshua. And yet, the first thing that went out the window was their courage. What is courage? It stands in spite of our circumstances. The opposite of courage is cowardice. Cowardice. I cannot help anytime I think of the word coward to think of the cowardly lion off of the Wizard of Oz. I thought this afternoon, you know, so often we read in Scripture the lion is a picture of strength, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. I don't know if you've ever seen a real lion. I've been to Africa. I've seen the real ones over there. I'm not talking about a zoo lion. I'm talking about a real one. I was sitting in a mud hut in, uh, right at the banks of the Nile River, getting ready to cross over the Nile River by, by the Congo. And I was sitting in this little mud hut. It's called a banda. And uh, I was sitting in the hut rather than outside the hut because there's animals there that will eat you. And all of a sudden, I heard this, ooh. I didn't know what that was. I said, what is that? The monkeys were going crazy. I mean, the birds were going crazy. Uh, the, the guide, Robert, that was with us says, that's a lion. Ooh, just this loud roar. And all the animals were afraid of the lion. And I'm thinking, that's how the Christian ought to be today. The world ought to be afraid of our roar. But unfortunately, I think it's the cowardly lion that best represents us. 
I mean, the cowardly lion, you remember, you've seen the show, right? The cowardly lion, I mean, everything. He was scared to death. He was a coward. What did he not have? He didn't have any courage. Can I tell you tonight, anybody can fall in line with the status quo. But only a choice servant will stand in spite of their circumstances. That's why Ephesians chapter 6 mentions three times about standing and having done all to stand. See, God can't use us if we don't stand. And we've got to learn to stand in spite of our circumstances. So that's number one. Gideon showed us courage. His choice of courage was in the stand that he took. But let's keep reading. Look back down, if you would, chapter number 6. Or I'm sorry, chapter number 7. After God calls Gideon, Gideon begins to drum up an army. He drums up over 30,000 people in chapter 7 to help him. So God looks down and God says, look, the ranks are too thick. There's too many people here. Look at verse number 2 of chapter 7. The Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many for me. (laughs) I probably would have spoke up right there and told God, it's all right, just, just let them stay. Let them stay. The Midianites, the Bible says that their army was as grasshoppers. There were just numberless groups that would come in and they would raid, the, raid Israel. And it was harvest time. Uh, Gideon was threshing the wheat. So they would come in at harvest time and they would just rob them of all the sustenance. And they would go down to the valley of Jezreel and they would divide the spoils up. So while they're in the valley of Jezreel, uh, Gideon blows the trumpet, the Bible says, and he brings in his men. He says, hey, I need an army to go and help me deliver Israel. Well, God says in chapter number two, uh, chapter seven, verse two, you have too many people. So he tells him in verse number three, he says, now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. So Gideon says, all right, any of you boys afraid, you can go home now. I have a feeling if he was here in the south, those would have been fighting words for us guys around here. But these guys, the Bible says, they took his advice and they returned of the people 20 and 2,000. I want you to put yourself in Gideon's place. He has 32,000 men to go fight an innumerable army. It's like a plague of grasshoppers. Locusts is how the Bible describes them. They move into an area, they wipe it out of its sustenance, and they move on. And he had 32, and now 22,000 have gone home. I'll be honest with you, it would have been hard for me to keep my chin up. And most of your troops have gone home, but Gideon didn't quit. Why? Number two, courage leads in spite of loss. Courage leads in spite of loss. Point number one deals with this. It requires courage to stand against something, okay? It's going to require courage for you to stand against the status quo. But point number two really deals with courage to stand alone. Now, sometimes it's easier to stand against something than it is to stand alone. I can tell you, look, that fighting for your faith is difficult, If you go out there and try to live for Christ in this world, fighting for your faith is difficult. But I'll tell you this, fighting and being forsaken for your faith can be devastating. Have you ever been in a spiritual firefight? And man, as long as you got somebody there to fight with you, man, you feel like you can fight forever. But when you find yourself fighting alone, boy, it just seems so much harder when you're by yourself. Gideon watched 22,000 men go home, but yet we see the courage of Gideon in the fact that he led in spite of all the losses that he incurred. 
One of my favorite scriptures, and I mean this, I say all of them are my favorite, I think, but really one of my favorite accounts in scripture is in 1 Samuel 30. Read it when you get home. 1 Samuel chapter 30, you'll find David and his men have been off to battle. As they ride back into town, into Ziklag, the Bible says they could kind of see on the horizon, if you will, the city was burning. Can you imagine what it would have felt like as David and his men are returning victoriously from battle and to see smoke on the horizon? I know any time that my wife is away from the house and I hear an ambulance, I always call my wife. Hey, are you okay? Just checking. I know, she, you know folks think I'm crazy, but I'm just checking on my wife because I kind of love her, you know, and make sure that's not her out there. And as they ride over the hill and they see the smoke on the horizon, begin to wonder where that's coming from. Begin to realize that's their city on fire. As they get closer and closer, I can imagine they rode harder and harder and faster and faster, and they come and find their whole city, they're about wiped out. All of their wives and all of their children are gone, every one of them. I cannot imagine what that would feel like. The Bible says that the men were weeping until they could not weep anymore. I have never been that way in my life. And then matters get worse in 1 Samuel 30. The Bible says the people spake of stoning David. They spake of stoning him. Now I want you to think about this. Just hours before they had rode arm in arm into battle and fought together for the same cause. Now in the thick of this battle, after the battle's over, their family has been kidnapped. Now they're looking at David and says, we were with you. All our families are gone, and now they're turning on David. The Bible uses these words in 1 Samuel 30. The Bible says the soul of all the people were grieved. The key word there is all. David's by himself. The Bible says, and the heart of every man was grieved for his sons and his daughters. There's the word all, and there's the word every. David is standing alone. All by himself. I cannot imagine the grief that David was feeling at this moment being by himself. But buddy, some of the most beautiful words in all of scripture follow. The Bible says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. David encouraged himself There was not anybody there to pat David on the back and to give David a shot in the arm. He had to encourage himself. Can I tell you, there are going to be times in your walk with God to fulfill the will of God, you're going to have to stand alone. And you'll not do it without courage. You look, we get all, look, we get hyped up and we get excited. Man, we listen to a gospel song and it stirs us. Nothing wrong with that. Sooner or later, the music will stop. The people will go home. You're all by yourself. And the only way that you'll keep the course of the will of God for your life is that you chose to have courage. You chose to lead in spite of the losses that it cost you to leave. I remember when my daughter was born, I'd never been a parent before. And um, my mother-in-law, the first night, oh my goodness, I had to have sleep. I called my mother-in-law in Louisiana, called her back. She was, already, she was already here, but she was at our house. She went home to spend the night at our house. I says, can you come back to the hospital? She says, why? I says, I got to have some sleep. So she came, and she sat with Miley while I went and got some sleep. And we went to the house, and she stayed with us for a week. 
Man, she changed diapers and gave baths and looked after Leslie. And man, it was nice, but man, after a while, my mother-in-law went home. It was just me. And Leslie, Leslie wasn't feeling good. She had some complications after it. So it was just me. And I'm thinking, oh, my soul. I'm responsible to keep this thing alive until my wife gets up to speed. Oh, that was a scary place. In case you're wondering, she made it. She made it. Man, it's, it's tough when you're by yourself, isn't it? Oh, it's easier for me to fight for my faith. Well, fighting for my faith, that's difficult. But being forsaken for my faith, oh, at times that's devastating. You ever, you ever been forsaken because of the stand you took? That's tough. You ever been forsaken by family or friends or even church folks or even preachers? I hate to say it, we can do that. You ever been forsaken for your stand? Can I tell you the only thing that's going to get you through is courage. You better choose that I'm going to lead and I'm going to fulfill the will of God and I'm going to do what God, I know God called me to do in spite of the losses. I believe we see this spirit in one of God's other choice servants, Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, Demas hath forsaken me. Can you imagine being put in prison for the cause of Christ and your friends running out on you? How difficult it must have been for them. Oh, I think about our teen. I wish our teenagers were in here tonight. I know they're up at Teen Refresh. Boy, I think about them. Oh, they're, they're in for it. They're going to be forsaken for the stands that they take and all oh, that we at Central Baptist Church could give them some courage to be able to lead on the will of God for their life in spite of whoever forsakes them because we gave them courage. Courage is this, it's accepting the cost of our cross. Courage is accepting the cost of our cross. You know, the, co- the cross of Jesus Christ, you think about what that cross cost him. The grief and the pain and the scourge, and then I'm gonna tell you what would break my heart just as bad as the, the beatings is when all forsook him and fled. You know, you can take a beating when there's somebody taking a beating with you. My wife is my right arm. She's not here. She, told, she texted me a moment ago. She said, I couldn't quit coughing. So she's back in, the, in my office. She says she's back there watching the live stream. I hope she is not eating, eating stuff in my refrigerator or whatever. But she's probably giving me the evil eye right now. But I can't see her, so it doesn't hurt as bad when you can't see it. Man, my wife is my right arm. Everywhere God's ever called me in ministry, my wife's been right there with me. Say, babe, we're fixing to leave this nice brick home and go become a member of a church. We're going to step down. I was told by an evangelist, you don't do that. You don't step down and go from a pastor becoming a member. That's what God told me to do. And I kind of figured I'd rather listen to, to God than the evangelist, to be honest with you. And so we did. And then I told my wife, we're going to move to Louisiana, live in a camper, and I'm going to become a garbage man, and we're going to build a church. And she just went right there with me. Mike charged hell with a squirt pistol with that woman. But oh my goodness, I can't imagine what Job went through. Doing what God called him to do and his wife forsakes him. Why don't you curse God and die, Job? Oh, it's going to take courage to hang in there. Job had it. Job had made up his mind. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He says, he could kill me, but I'm going to trust him. You see, his mind was made up. He was going to lead on in spite of what it cost him. Now, folks, if we're going to fulfill the will of God at Central Baptist Church, and we're not going to be choice servants, but a choice church, 
we're going to have to have courage, and that means we're going to have to lead in spite of whatever loss may come. I read a story a while back. I printed it off because I couldn't remember all these names about Leonidas, the king of Sparta. He was preparing to go up against the Greek troops, um, with his Greek troops against the Persian army in 400 B.C., and the, the Persian army sent him an envoy begging him not to do this. You only have 300. There's just 300 of you. There's no way that you can win this. And here's what the Persian envoy told Leonidas. He says, our archers are so numerous that the flight of their arrows darkens the sun. Leonidas' response was this, so much the better, for we shall fight them in the shade. We'll fight them in the shade. Leonidas would go on with his 300 Spartans and they would die. But buddy, what a thought that his mind was made up. I'm going to lead on. No matter what the losses are, I'm going to lead on. You know what that's called? That's called courage. It's called courage. It's something that's lacking in the church today because we will lead on only if these circumstances are right. We will lead on only if there's someone who will go with us, but becoming a choice servant requires us to ask this question, what's it worth to us? What's it worth? I want to be a choice servant. I want to be a, a Noah or a Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How can I become someone that God would use? You've got to choose courage. You say, okay, I want courage. It's not a pill that you can take. Courage is choosing to lead in spite of the loss. Matthew 19 tells us about the cost of discipleship. It may cost us houses or lands or friends or family. This is where you've got to decide what it's worth. Gideon had already made up his mind, and even though he lost 22,000 men, he kept on. Why? Because he had courage. I believe tonight our lack of courage shows us that being a choice servant is simply not worth it. Can we just boil it down to that? If, if, if we're not willing to serve God and to take up our cross, regardless of what that cost is, if any man will come after me, what does he say in Luke? Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whatever the cost of our cross, we should surrender to that, and that's when you start having a little bit of courage. So number two, courage leads in spite of loss. And number three, let's read on down if we could. Look down in chapter number seven, and uh, we're going to look down in chapter number seven, look to verse number 16. So here he goes, he's fixing to fight this innumerable army. The Bible says, and he divided 300 men into three companies. He put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. So here's the plan. We're going to surround them in three different groups, 100, 100, 100. And I want you to have a trumpet, and I want you to have a clay vessel, if you will, and inside of that vessel we're going to have lamps. I would have raised my hand and says, no guns. No bows? Can I have a sharp stick? A slingshot? Something. Just a scary face? You know, something like, this is it? A trumpet? A pot? With a lantern over in the pot? That's the plan. This is how God wants to do this. This is how God's going to get the glory, by the way, by whittling the number down to just 300. So Gideon takes his army of 300, and God gives him a plan of what he wants to do, and now they're outnumbered, they're outgunned, and they're outtrained, and yet Gideon presses on. He doesn't back down. 
The Bible says they go down there in verse 18. Here's the plan. When I blow with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So here's what they were doing for the sake of time. When they blew the trumpet, they smashed their pots, and all of a sudden, the enemy that's kind of asleep and in a slumber down there, they look up on the hills, they see all of these lights, and it appears like this massive army has them surrounded. That's God's plan. Now, I imagine if you were to take that to the defense department and tell them that we're going to take out ISIS with trumpets and lanterns, maybe flashlights, we get up it a little bit, and Tupperware containers... They would probably give you a nice straight jacket and, uh, and send you to where they send all the other crazies. And yet, this is what God's plan was for Gideon. The odds were not good, but he did it anyway. So number three, here's what courage is. Courage obeys in spite of the odds. Courage obeys in spite of the odds. We have an election coming up real soon, and uh, all these politicians are doing these polls. They're taking these polls. And you see some candidates dropping out of the races because they took a poll and the polls were not in their favor. And so they used the polls to decide whether or not they're going to continue on in their race. They said the numbers are not there. The odds are we're not going to win, so we might as well quit. That's the way politicians do things. But I fear tonight this is the way the church has started doing things. We take a poll and we see what the odds are. What are the odds we could turn Hattiesburg around? What are the odds I could win my coworker to Christ? What are the odds if I go soul winning that I'll make any good? And we check the wind and see how it stands, and we decide, you know what, the odds are not good. But courage obeys in in spite of the odds. You see, Gideon was more concerned with being obedient than what the odds said, okay? Now, our problem is we're more concerned with the odds than obedience, and that's why we're not choice servants, God's not going to use those who decide whether or not we can do this or not. God's going to use those who decide to do it simply because God said it would work. I had a preacher ask me one time, to my face, a mentor, talking about soul winning, here's what he says, does that still work? Of course it does. So how do you know? Because God says it works. Well, it's 2019 and the world's different and, you know, we got all these cults out there knocking on people's doors and people are skeptical. Does it still work? Of course it does. Why? Can you prove it with the numbers? No, I prove it with God's word. He said it would work, so it works. Tonight, if you're going to have courage, you just got to decide we're going to obey God. I don't care what the odds say. And that's when you'll become a choice servant. What if David had looked at the odds? I love David. David is one of the most unlikely servants. Why? Look, his dad didn't even invite him to the meeting with the preacher. When they're picking the new king, his dad didn't even invite him there. Whew, that would hurt. That would hurt. And then when David goes to fight Goliath, the king says, you can't. So his dad don't even think he's capable. The king says he's not capable. But aren't you glad that David didn't count the odds? His dad didn't think he could. The king didn't think he could. And Goliath said he couldn't. And yet David did. Why? Because he had courage. Noah did, Moses did, Joshua did. Why? Because they had courage. They obeyed simply in spite of the odds. What were the odds? God was going to split the Red Sea. I bet those odds were not very good. Yet God did it all the same. Why? Because he told Moses what to do, and Moses did it. So let me give you this real quick. You say, well, I'd love to have that. You know, Christians, we have a huge wish list. 
I wish I had that. I wish I had that. I wish I had that. How did, how did Gideon get this type of courage? I want to show this to you back in chapter number six. Before chapter seven with the lamps and the trumpets, I want to show you what happened in chapter six. Chapter six, verse number 21. When the angel of the Lord and the Lord began to speak to Gideon first, Gideon wants to know whether or not it really is God speaking to him. He wants to prove God. So he goes in, he, 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 he prepares a goat and brings it out with the cakes. The Bible says in verse number 20, the angel of the Lord said unto him, take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them out upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. I think you can see a precursor to Elijah on Mount Carmel here, if you'll look deep into it. Verse 21, then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes and there arose up a fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. So watch this. Gideon's trying to prove God. And so he proved God through preparing this goat and these cakes and the angel of the Lord touched it with his staff and it burned up in fire. You see, Gideon didn't get to the place with the trumpets and the pitchers overnight. He began by proving God in smaller things. If we want courage in the great things where we can obey God in spite of the odds and we can lead in spite of the losses and we can stand in spite of our circumstances, it begins in the little things. Keep reading chapter 6, verse 37. Chapter 6, verse number, verse number 37. We see Gideon here Proving God again in verse 36, and Gideon said unto God, if thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor, and the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel. We know this famous passage for putting out the fleece. What is Gideon doing? He's proving God. He's proving God. You want to have great courage? Start off by having a little courage. Start proving God and taking God at his word. This is what Gideon is doing. And finally, we see Gideon working a great victory. So why does God value courage? I'll give you this and we're done. Why does God value courage? Well, simply because this, the unlikely, the insufficient, and the incapable, those are areas where we are lacking, are they not? Gideon was unlikely. He was insufficient. And he was incapable. So Gideon's looking at it and says, God, I just can't see it happening that you're going to lead me and these 300 men to a great victory to deliver Israel. So what is it called when God does something that we cannot see? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Here's what's happening. Because we are insufficient and incapable, because we are unlikely and we can't see how God's going to do it, we have to trust God. By the way, that's why we call it faith promise missions. Requires faith. I had a guy tell us at one of our Faith Promise Missions conference at our church. He says, well, God put this on my heart, but I don't see how he's going to do it. I says, you get it. You got it. You're not supposed to see how he's going to do it, but you trust him that he will do it, and that's called courage, folks. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible. There's no way we can become a, a choice servant without faith and that faith is represented in our courage to do what? To stand in spite of our circumstances. Tonight, our litmus test for courage is how we stand in spite of our circumstances. Our litmus test for courage tonight is how we lead in spite of loss. What is, if everybody forsook you tonight, would you still be here at church on Sunday? 
If everybody in here tonight voted, we're not coming back. By the way, I preached at a church on a Sunday morning, no joke. I preached at a church on Sunday morning, and I guess it was so bad, they voted at the end of that service to cancel the night service. No joke. I didn't know what to do, you know. Everybody decided to go home. Would you still show up? Would you lead on in spite of the losses? And finally, would you obey in spite of the odds? Look, if you count the odds, you're not going to go serve God. God's not going to use you. Focus on obedience rather than the odds, and then we become a choice servant because we prove God through our courage. Heads are bowed tonight, eyes are closed. We'll stop there. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.